Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. A beautiful Wednesday here in Joburg. It is 10 past 2 on a Wednesday, which means that it is time for Judaism 101.9. And in this Judaism 101.9, we're going to explore some of the things that we need to know about the coming days. As we always do, we'll look at what's coming up in the calendar, <coughs> some of the practical implications, things that we've got to do from a practical point of view. And then perhaps being that a tremendous amount of the theme of Purim, which is the big Chag coming up in this coming week, because so much of it has got to do with things that are hidden, perhaps we'll have a look at some of the hidden messages behind the next few days. Some of the things that are sort of embedded in the words and in the story and in the program. Of course, we know that this coming Shabbat, um, we read the Parsha of Tetzaveh, and this is not a Parsha shir, so I'm not going to go into that, but everybody will tell you that it is the one Parsha in the Torah where Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses' name, is not mentioned. Moses, the great player, behind it all, the man whose yard site and birthday we just celebrated, commemorated a couple of days ago on Zion Adar, in this Parsha, which comes at this time, which carries with it the central theme of all the things to do with the Kohanim and so on in the Beit HaMikdash in the temple, Moses' name is excluded, missing, not there, not there at least in a written form, not there in a blatant form, in a completely outstanding form in this week's parsha. And it usually lines up with the story of Purim. And uh, anybody and everybody that you ask from little kids to older adults will tell you that there is one thing that we notice that is missing from the Megillat Esther, the story of the book of Esther, which is one of the books of the Torah, one of the books of the Bible, one of the books of Tanakh. And yet, you go from the beginning of it, from the word, right at the beginning, right to the end of the book of uh, Esther, you don't find God's name mentioned anywhere. And there are hints to it, of course. The word Hamelech, the king, which is used throughout to refer directly to the king of Persia, to Achashverosh, is used as a kind of a veil a uh, cover over for a reference to God and so we say that God is actually mentioned everywhere and there are some who in fact write to their Megillot the Megillas are written with the word Hamelech at the top of every column obviously except for the beginning one and one or two of the others where the word Hamelech doesn't quite fit in but Hamelech comes so often in the Megillah and they say well that is the mention of God's name, but there is something significant about looking at what is hidden, about what is not there, about what is not always so visible, and having to scratch beneath the surface and having to move away some of the things and stuff that gets in the way in order to actually see a clearer picture, and that maybe is what we're going to explore in uh, today's Judaism 101.9. But first, let's talk about the lineup. Let's talk about what is going to be happening over the next few days. Well, today, as we know, 
is the eighth day in the month of Adar. That will make tomorrow the ninth. That will make Friday the tenth. And that makes Shabbat the thirteenth. But on Shabbat, because it is the Shabbos before Purim, we read a special Torah reading. And that special Torah reading is read from a second Torah. So one Torah is taken out and we read the Parsha that we referred to before, Parsha's Tetzave, all about the Kohanim, their Begadim, their clothes and so on that were uh, unique to them and that had to be worn in their service in the temple. And we think about that Parsha where Moses' name is not mentioned. But then we take out a second Torah. If you have more than one Torah in your shul, in your community, in your group, we will take out, if you have the possibility, a second Torah. If not, you're going to have to roll it to that spot. And it is somewhere towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy of Dvarim, there is a reference to Amalek. And we read something that is known as Zachor. It is known this Shabbos, therefore, as Shabbat. Zachor. It is the Shabbos of remembering. Now, this is not a Shabbos of remembrance where we remember, as we often are called upon to do, those who uh, we have lost and those who perished in the Holocaust or uh, when we have a Yom HaZikaron for uh, the soldiers who gave their lives, people who gave their lives defending Israel. And when we think about this Zachor, it is about remembering. What do we have to remember? We have to remember Amalek. We have to remember Amalek. Amalek was this uh, dubious character who we encountered, him and his ilk, him and his people. As we came out of Egypt, we come out of Egypt, we are really, really a unique people. God has pulled out all stops to make our exodus from Egypt successful, from the plagues to the crossing of the Red Sea, to the story with the matzahs, to uh, the lamb and the blood on the doorposts. and the uh, Oh, there's so much that... God did for us to get us out of Egypt. And then, as we are headed towards Mount Sinai, a group under the banner of Amalek, the Amalekites, come and they attack us. What's unique about them is they didn't have to attack us. I mean, you can say nobody ever has to attack us, but they certainly didn't have a rhyme or a reason. They, we weren't uh, crossing over their territory. We weren't um, any threat to them. We weren't invading their land. We weren't asking them for anything. In fact, we were just on our merry way walking from uh, the Red Sea towards Mount Sinai in order to receive the Torah. And they came along and they attacked. And it says about them in the second portion that we're going to read from the second Torah in Zachor. It says about them, Asher Korcha Baderech. And it means that he happened upon us. Amalek didn't have intentions. This wasn't something that was thought through. This wasn't something that um, um, was for any rhyme or reason. Amalek just happened chanced, as they say. He just happened upon us, and he attacked us. And yes, he got hurt, and yes, he got damaged. But Asher Korach Abaderech, we could also interpreted to mean, as we often have, not only that he chanced upon us, but that he kar, from the word kar meaning cold. He came and poured cold water all over us. We were hot stuff. We had gotten out of Egypt and nobody wanted to touch us. And we were um, totally impregnable and we were completely undefeatable. And we were this powerhouse of a people who had now just come on a victory march as we were going from the Red Sea, 
and we're heading towards Mount Sinai, he comes and he pours water on our enthusiasm. He pours water on our warmth, on our uh, fire, on our passion, and he curbs our enthusiasm. So the first hidden little message that I have for you today is this idea of Asher Korcha, the idea of the fact that one of the ways that we need to defeat Amalek is to be passionate. You know, it's so difficult to um, make people enthusiastic about just about anything. But we need to be enthusiastic about doing good. We need to be enthusiastic about our mitzvahs. We need to be enthusiastic about our community, about our loved ones, about our family, about our simchas. There needs to be an enthusiasm. It can't be, oh, gosh, oh, another simcha. Oh, my goodness. Why did they invite me to that wedding? Oh, what a pain in the neck for me to have to attend that shir, for me to do that mitzvah. Enthusiasm. Asher korcha baderech. Amolek comes to try and thwart that enthusiasm, to curb that enthusiasm. We have to be strong. We have to be passionate. And that is one of the hidden messages behind Parshat Zachor. You need to be in shul. Everybody needs to hear Zachor. It is something that's obligatory on men, women, and children to hear Zachor on this coming Shabbat. So make sure you get to your shul in order to be able to do so. Back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Welcome back and wonderful to be with you again here on Judaism 101.9. We've been exploring some of the hidden messages behind the days that are coming up. We were talking about Parshat Zachor and the idea of the fact that we need to be enthusiastic. It was uh, Amalek who came along and curbed our enthusiasm. We dare not be cold. We dare not be dispassionate. We dare not be completely um, unenthusiastic when it comes to anything to do with our lives, with Judaism, with our family, with our simchas and so on. There needs to be that enthusiasm. A dispassionate um, Jew is someone or a dispassionate individual is someone, unfortunately, who is mimicking what it was that Amalek did for us. So when we talk about getting rid of Amalek, we've got to get rid of that attitude within our lives. Now, if we move a little bit forward, we think about um, Monday. Monday is the fast of Esther. So this coming Monday is a fast day. It's not a 24-hour or 25-hour fast day. It's only from the beginning of the day, from morning, going through until the reading of the Megillah. And actually, one should try and wait until after you have heard the Megillah in order to break your fast. So that is all day Monday, Monday, the fast of Esther, a regular fast day. And why do we fast? We fast because it was Esther and Mordechai who realized that they weren't going to be triumphant in their political campaign or their diplomatic um, approach to the king, to Ahasuerus, in order to have the evil decree of Haman overturned in the Purim story, they realized that they had to do something more than that. They had to bring about some kind of a return of repentance um, within the Jewish people. They realized that this was something that came in Ashamayim. It came from, from heaven, a heaven-sent decree, and therefore it was in a heaven-sent way that we needed to undo that decree. We've got to remember, therefore, that everything that happens to us doesn't only happen to us in a physical realm. There is something spiritual that's guiding it. It is guided from above. If the very, very fall of the leaf of a tree, we are told, is ordained and is uh, determined and actually um, happens at the bequest of Shamaim of heaven, 
So too does everything within our lives. And we've got to remember that we too need to take that seriously and realize how important it is to us. And so <coughs> Mordechai and Esther got everybody together and people fasted. They fasted in order to bring about that repentance. And this is something that all fast days are actually about. They're meant to motivate within us a feeling of return, a feeling of repentance. We've got to think back as to why it is that these negative decrees happened then and why it is that negative things sometimes happen now. And perhaps we can try and push them away. And uh, deal with them by realizing that so much depends on what we do and how we do it and how we behave and how we are committed to what we're supposed to be doing in this world to complete God's holy work and to be kind to others and to be united and to make sure that we're keeping to the tenets of our faith and so on. All of those things. Um, make for the reason why we actually fast on uh, Monday. It is called Tainit Esther, the fast of Esther. Everybody should see to it if you're able to. If you're over the age of bar and bat mitzvah, men and women should fast on the fast of Esther. And that means no eating or drinking. And uh, that is for the duration of the day, um, right up until we hear the Megillah. On the fast of Esther in the afternoon at Mincha time, it is traditional to give what we call machatzit shekel the half shekel. So we take a half shekel coin, we give it to charity, we give it to tzedakah, and um, while you may not have, and we don't have in our denomination in South Africa, we don't have a coin that is called a half, although our money is probably worth half of what it was worth um, a year ago today, but that's not good enough. It's got to be something that is actually called a half half a dollar or half a shekel and we try therefore to buy one um, which usually your rabbi or your shul will have in shul you pay for it, you purchase it and you actually then give it back to a charity and so we keep the ball rolling so to speak with the half shekels uh, being distributed and this should be done before uh, mincha on before the afternoon service on Monday. Monday evening is the first reading of the Megillah after Myriv, after the evening service, towards the end of the evening service, we have the reading of the Megillah. And it is important that people understand that you have to hear the entire Megillah. It's probably from here that we have the expression, the Gansa Megillah. We need to hear the whole Megillah. Just hearing part of it, not good enough. We've got to hear every word, and it's got to be read in order. While a Megillah can be written out of order, it's got to be read in order. You've got to hear it read in order. In other words, you can't come in for the last paragraph and then say, okay, well, <coughs> let me hear the rest of it at a second reading, and then I can walk out when uh, it comes to that paragraph or that page or that part of the Megillah that I already heard. You have to hear it in order from the beginning, from right in the beginning of the Megillah right to the end, and we should hear every word. And so we have to make sure that we do that. And, in fact, the reading of the Megillah, the hearing of the Megillah, has to be done by each and every one of us twice. We should hear it once in the evening. That's on Monday night and again during the day of Tuesday. On the day of Purim. Now these were things that Mordechai and Esther established as the way that this festival, this Chag, has to be celebrated. And there was a whole debate as to whether they should institute a new festival. In fact, the Talmud brings the whole story about Esther approaching the sages of the time and saying she wanted to see to it that there should be a new festival and the sages 
felt that maybe this would be a festival that would rub the nation the wrong way. Uh, you know, it kind of shows the power of God and the Jewish people over Persia and over the kings and over the houses of royalty and so on. And they were a little afraid to establish such a festival in the Jewish people, which seemed to be a little bit disparaging of uh, the nation state um, that was kind of the host state of uh, of the world at the time. Um, it kind of put them down, and uh, they felt that maybe it wouldn't, wasn't exactly the most politically correct thing to do. And it was Esther who pointed out that, hey, one second, the royal house has already written this up as a great miracle in their books. If they're already proclaiming it as a miracle, so why can't we proclaim it as a miracle? What's wrong with us proclaiming that this should be a festival? And she actually was triumphant in getting it proclaimed as a chag, as a festival that was celebrated from then on and Mordechai and Esther and the way that the Megillah ends is it tells us that this is the way that needs to be celebrated we need to hear the reading of the Megillah we hear it once in the evening that's on Monday night we hear it again in the morning that's on Tuesday during the day preferably in the morning but it can be heard anytime during the day and then after the Megillah has been read twice, we need to have what we call a su'udat purim, a celebratory meal. At that celebratory meal, we should eat, we should drink. It says we should drink wine and we should uh, celebrate all the parties that Esther made for uh, Haman and Achashverosh, at which she was triumphant, were called wine party. She had a wine party, so we too should drink some wine. It says we should try and be merry. We should, uh, in fact, even intoxicate ourselves with the spirit of Purim, of the happiness, of the joy of the occasion, and realizing just how God runs his world. And to celebrate that is a great thing to be done on Purim. And this should be done after you've heard the Megillah read twice. In other words, during the day time of Tuesday. We also celebrate, as we are told in the Megillah, by giving what is known as Mishloach Manot, giving food gifts to a friend. Now that is at least two foods or two foodstuffs that should be given to a friend, to an individual. And there we are strict that a man should give to a man, a woman to a woman. They should be called your friends and you only need to give two, two to one. And then there is the other final idea and that is the giving of stucker, the giving of charity. Matanot le'evyonim. And there we have the plural. Matanot, plural, le'evyonim, plural. We need to give at least two pieces of charity, two coins or two banknotes or two amounts that have to be given to at least two people. And, of course, there are many institutions um, that will distribute to the poor on uh, Purim. And, therefore, if one gives an amount, an allotted amount, we know that that will be distributed to many people during the day of Purim and thereafter. And this, therefore, fulfills that mitzvah very, very beautifully. So we have the four things, the hearing of the Megillah twice, the eating of a Purim su'uda, the giving of two foodstuffs to one friend, to at least one friend, you can give to more. And then the idea of giving matonos levionim, of giving charity at least two, to at least two um, uh, poor people, people who are in need so that they can themselves celebrate Purim, have something to eat, have something to drink, and uh, perhaps provide for their family in the future as well. So this is the way that we actually celebrate Purim. But let's take a look at something fascinating, I think, from the beginning of the Megillah. You know, the beginning of the Megillah tells us 
that it was in the days of Achashverosh, 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 this is Achashverosh, HaMolech Mehoidu Kush. he ruled from a place called Hodu to a place called Kush. Usually we translate, to translate that as being, he ruled from India to Ethiopia, but it's not really clear if those were exactly the same places as they are today. And it was Sheva Esri Mumeya Medina, he ruled over 127 states, 127 countries. Now there's a fascinating little anecdote that we're told about the famous sage Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was teaching his students and he saw, as sometimes people do see with their students, that their students became a little fashlofen. They started to doze off, not off, as uh, sometimes happens, you know. Maybe it was hot, maybe they'd been up late, whatever the reason was, but they were not as attentive as they should have been. And Rabbi Akiva admonished them in a way by telling them the following. He told them that um, why was it seen fit that Esther should rule over 127 provinces? Why was it seen fit that she should rule over 127 states? Remember, Esther became the queen over the whole known world. And it says, because God said, Let the daughter of Sarah, who lived 127 years, come and reign over 127 provinces. What does it mean? Why was he telling us that? Well, we have an incredible link, you know. Um, Esther was the great, 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 great grandchild of Sarah Imenu, of Sarah, our mother. And Sarah, Sarah, lived to be 127 years old. And the commentators point out that Sarah lived a perfect life. Every single day of her life was equal in its significance. In other words, Sarah never wasted a moment. Sarah, Sarah, our mother, taught us the value of time, the importance of not wasting a moment, of realizing that there were things that needed to be done, and they've got to be done now. You've got to do it today. There is so much that we need to do. There's so much that we need to accomplish. To be fashlofen, to fall asleep, and to waste time is not on the agenda of Sarah Imenu, of Sarah at all, and therefore she merits that so many generations later her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughter becomes the ruler, the queen, over 127 states. By not wasting a day, we're saving another life. By not wasting a day, a moment, we're saving another family. By not wasting a moment or a day, an hour, a year, we are actually seeing to it that one other province, so to speak, is added to the rulership, to the kingship, to the dominion of Esther. And here lies a very, very important, beautiful message that is hidden in the very opening words of the Megillah, the idea of the value not only of our passion and commitment, as we learned from the story of Amalek and Zachor, but the idea of not wasting a moment, not taking time for granted. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. We don't know how much time Hashem has allotted to us. We dare not waste that time. We dare not waste our lives. We dare not waste that time. We need to motivate ourselves and realize the significance and the importance. And where do we learn it from? The 127 states that Esther ruled over which was an inheritance, so to speak, of the incredible work and the incredible application of her grandmother, Sarah Imenu Sarah, in everything that she did. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Okay, welcome back. Great to be with you. And 
It is now uh, 14.43 on the clock here in the studio, which means that we are getting closer towards the end of this show. And I wanted to share with you some other things of what is actually hidden within the Megillah. We remember that uh, the story of uh, God's name being hidden is uh, the reason why we're talking about hiddenness. God is not actually blatantly within the whole story of Purim, but we know that there is so much that happens in the story that could only have been engineered by God. There is so much of this um, story that has to do with a whole series of coincidences of things that happen, that one thing leads to the other, strange occurrences, peculiarities, amazing meetings, incredible divine providence, things that just happen kind of out of the blue, like the king wakes up in the middle of the night, and the one thing that he wants to uh, do is to look at his chronicles, and there it's in his chronicles that he sees, in his diary that he sees there, that uh, Mordechai once saved his life and was never thanked. And it is then that Haman comes to tell him that he wants to destroy the Jews. And he preempts it by saying that he wants to honor somebody. And it is amazing how it all unravels. It's amazing how it is all there. And only God Almighty can engineer that all of these things should happen in such a, a, a coordinated and coincidental, seemingly coincidental fashion that um, we marvel. Just how miraculous the ordinary actually is. Just how miraculous this sequence of incredible events actually is. And we always, and we also marvel at the fact that it was in the Purim story, in the story of Haman and Hashverosh and Mordechai and Esther, that the entire Jewish people was destined to be wiped out. The obliteration of the whole Jewish people was Haman's agenda. And Achashverosh, a, a violent and virulent anti-Semite himself, wanted to go along with it. He wanted them, they wanted to make sure that there would never be a Jew again in the world. They wanted to eradicate it completely. And they had the power to do it as they ruled over all 127 countries of the known world. They had that power. They had that ability. They were quite capable of uh, carrying it through and of uh, creating this uh, in inverted commas, horrible words to use, final solution for the Jews um, all that time ago. And yet everything was completely scuppered. It was completely undone. It was completely overturned and overthrown through all of these strange series of events. But what actually was it that Mordechai and Esther saw in this whole story? that they were able to uncover, that they were able to see and read, not between the lines, but behind the veil, that they were, because remember the name Esther means that she was hidden. She was, so to speak, veiled. She was covered over. There was some a covering. There was a veil of privacy, a veil of secrecy. There was a veil of covering over and that not everything was out there in bright lights. What were they able to see that not everybody else was able to see? Mordechai and Esther realized that this had to be something that was a decree from heaven. It was a decree against the Jewish people. It cannot be, and it isn't, just something that comes in the minds of a couple of Meshugoyim, of uh, some crazy king, and of his um, uh, chief of staff, or his prime minister, or president, or whatever you wanted to call Haman. It wasn't just something that comes about in a vacuum, in a void, and out of nowhere. The fact that this came about, and that it was pointed at the Jews, and it was because it was Mordechai who stood up for his rights and refused to bow down, this was something that was so powerfully clear 
to Mordechai and Esther that this was something that was min this was something that came from heaven. And therefore they realized that the antidote to it, the way that they were going to fight it off, was not by uh, just simply doing things in a simple, down-to-earth, logical fashion, but that they needed help from Above, And they needed to make sure that the, the people got together, that they fasted, that they prayed, that they davened, that they said to Hillim, that they were involved in all of these things that uh, we sometimes overlook and we sometimes take for granted. And we think, well, you know what, the way that we're going to reach our success is purely by our hard work at work. No. You need Siyata Dishmaya. You need help from heaven. The way that I'm going to be able to be triumphant over all the things that the world is throwing at me and all the difficulties that I may confront individually or as a family or as a community or as a nation or as a world, that all of these things are things that we can beat just on the ground. We can fight them just by our uh, modern technology or modern science or our way of thinking or our power, our energy, our physical strength. Now, Mordechai and Esther teach us in the story of Purim that we're not that surface. We're not that um, um, physical. We're not that material. We're not that thick-skinned that uh, we cannot dig beneath the surface and realize that there is something so much more and so much deeper that we are not just bodies, but we're actually souls. And it's our souls that are actually the driving force. It's our connection with Shamayim. It's our connection with God. It's our prayers. It's our mitzvahs. It's our Torah. It's our involvement in things of Kedusha, of holiness, that actually brings about the ultimate salvation and the help for each and every one of us. And wherever we're confronted with these issues, with these problems, number one, we need to have the passion. Number two, we need to make sure that we don't waste a moment. And number three, most important lesson, we need to make sure that everything is Everything comes from heaven, and that is the way that we have to address it. And we certainly got to do heavenly, godly, spiritual things in order to bring about the kind of salvation that we need every moment of our lives. Back with you after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Yes, Rabbi Michael Katz here with you, Judaism 101.9. Great to be in your company. We're talking about things coming up in the next few days. We're talking particularly about Purim and some of the most hidden stuff, most hidden messages behind Purim. If we think about it, what does Purim call upon us to do? It calls upon us to do a number of things that really we have been speaking about, the hidden messages. Number one is we need to make sure that we celebrate a Purim that is united, that is together. We need to share with friends and family. That's the idea of sharing foodstuffs. We need to have friends and family around us. We cannot live as islands. Yes, COVID taught us that we could do things alone and that we can connect with God alone and so on. Those days are over, my friends. We've now got to realize the importance of community, the importance of being together, the importance of um, just how difficult COVID made it for all of us. We've got to get back to being involved with each other on every possible level. It's not only your friends and family, not only the people you're going to have over for Friday night dinner or the ones who are in your immediate orb. We've got to make sure that we include, as we do on Purim, all those who are in a difficult space, uh, caring for the Evyonim, for those who are bereft, for those who are downtrodden for those who are brokenhearted. We've got to make sure that everybody is included. So there's this idea of inclusiveness. 
There's also the idea, of course, of remembering the messages of the fact that God is in control of everything, which comes through in the Megillah. And we don't only hear it once, we hear it twice. We make sure that it's drummed into our heads, that we remember it and that we're um, observant of it and that we remember just how important it is to be passionate about everything, to make sure that we celebrate, that we celebrate properly, that we have a meal, that we're excited about it, that we go out there and we really, really have a grand and wonderful celebration just to demonstrate how beautiful and how wonderful it is to be Jewish, how important our lives are to us, how important it was that our lives were saved and how significant it is that we realize that we've still got a job to do. We've got to continue with our unity. We've got to continue with our connections to each other and our connections to God. We've got to continue celebrating the great and wonderful things in our lives. We dare not turn our backs on Simcha. We've got to be involved in things that are joyous. A lot of people relate so well to things, unfortunately, that are sad, that are tragic, that are difficult. We've got to really go for it when we're talking about things of joy, things of simcha. That's the place where we really should be, and that's the space that we really should put our heads into. So this is the time. It's a time of simcha. It's a time of geula. It's a time of redemption. And it's a time when we need to remember to commit ourselves passionately to making sure that all of these things happen and that they happen well and properly. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, a a beautiful Shabbat Zachor, on which we need to hear the reading of Parshat Zachor, remembering what Amalek tried to do to us and how we stood up with passion in order to thwart his onslaught. And we've got to remember then the celebration of Purim, and hopefully we will have a wonderful, joyous, celebratory Purim, which just as Purim of old really was the forerunner to the building of the Beit HaMikdash, Hopefully that will happen for us in our time and that very soon we will have our temple restored in its rightful place in Yerushalayim, in the holy city of Jerusalem. Please God, very soon with the coming of Mashiach. I wish you well and I want to be, want to, want to invite you to join me again on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9. Same time, same place. Next week, please God, take care.